Blog Talk Radio. Why, hello there. Welcome to Carl's Cavern. I'll be your server tonight. As you peruse our fine beer and cheese menu, you will be hearing of the owner of this fine establishment, Mr. Carl Caper, as he gives you his wisdom and thought on whatever subject strikes him as important during the moment. So please, order your cheese and get ready for some enlightening conversation. Thank you very much for coming to Carl's Cavern. And always remember, cheese is the way of life. And here he is, coming up on the stage right now, the one, the only, our host, Carl Gabriel! <laughs> And yes, I love that opening. That's a great opening. <laughs> you made Tom laugh at least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, everyone. This is Carl, and and welcome to Carl's Cavern. And today we're going to take a nice little trudge up the Walder Hill and talk about one of our favorite directors and writers and producers. <laughs> And here with me, of course, we have our uh, producer and partner, Stephen Ronquillo. Stephen, say hello. That sound you heard during the opening is the sous chef we hired tonight, uh, Miss Princess Ronquillo. I don't know why he hired the dachshund to be the sous chef, but here she is. (laughs) Hi, Princess. And, of course, we have the mistress of sci-fi, uh, Miss Vicky Love, say hello, Vicky. Hello, Vicky. No, hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, you get on my show, you do those old jokes. It just happens that way. And, yeah. and our special guest is, <laughs> is someone that I've wanted to have on for quite a while. Uh, and uh, we finally got got him here, a good friend of mine, and uh, we'll talk a little more. But uh, I'd like everyone to welcome Tom Hartman to the group. Say hello. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> so, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, God, I've been an inveterate film goer since I was like 14 years old in 1974. I'd seen like three, four, five movies a week up until like videos came out, and then it was like 20 a week. <laughs> oh, Okay, so so you and I are basically the same age. I'm a, I'm just a little older than you, uh, mm-hmm. but but uh, so you were uh, you were in Chicago for a while, and yeah, and, yeah. and uh, tell us a little bit about Chicago, and and now you're in uh, Abilene, Texas. Uh, uh, yes. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know for for like film goers, Chicago was a dream. You know, not only a lot of first run, but they'd have the second run houses. And then you had these revival houses that would play a different double feature every day from like the 30s and the 40s. Um, Independent, like film centers. um, It was just a great place to like grow up and learn about films and the Chicago Film Festival 
of Roger Ebert would do these like seminars. You could take a seminar with Roger Ebert and he'd go frame by frame through a film. Uh, just an incredible experience there. Oh, nice. Nice. Man, I'm envious. Real... Yes, so am I. So am I. Uh, uh, I have a great love of Chicago. I had a friend of mine uh, when I was in Bradford, uh, and he was up in the Buffalo area, and we would go to Chicago every year for the Chicago Blues Fest. And then also mm-hmm. I spent a year and a half there uh, uh, as a, uh, getting my master's at Concordia. So, you know, go to the Blues Fest, go to uh, the cinemas, go to to the uh, Gospel Fest uh, down at Grant Park. Just a wonderful city. Love you got Chicago. your master's best in accordion? Did Weird Al teach the seminar? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got my <laughs> I got my master's in church music from Concordia, which is in River Forest. Yeah, I know an accordion. So. <laughs> oh. Sorry, Ken. Tonight we have Mouse. She's the little loudmouth bully, not Princess. Princess is the good, quiet one. Mouse is the big mouse here. Well, you got them both there. So, um, so uh, Tom, how did you get to uh, uh, Texas? How how did that happen? Oh well, I <laughs> went on disability, and Chicago was getting too expensive. And I have my late partner's mother-in-law owns the building I live in. So it was. Moving to a place where I could live comfortably on my limited income. Okay, cool. And how's how plus I love. Uh, go ahead. Oh, plus I love the weather. It's okay. going to hit ninety today and uh, over a hundred by the end of the week. <laughs> and I love it. And yeah, that that that's a little too hot for me. So. One of the other things, uh, uh, the way to, one of the ways that Tom and I connected was uh, if I am, uh, uh, I have a, uh, uh, I used to do a thing on the, on the uh, podcast called The Swing of the Week. And uh, if I'm the king of the swings, then Tom, by far, along with Alice Singleton, Tom is a prince of, of the swings, and uh, uh, Alice is the princess of the swings, without a doubt. <laughs> And uh, uh, so, anyway, talking about the swings, Stephen, you know what time it is, don't you? Yeah. No. <laughs> yes, you do, Stephen. Yes, you do. You know what it is. Steve's Video Store. Swing. Of the week. Tom laughing. Hello, everyone, and yes, it's the swing of the week. And and this one we were talking about, Alice. This, this came in from Alice, and, and of course we're all stuck in our homes. It's all you know, COVID nineteen and that sort of thing. We don't get out. All the restaurants are closed, and what restaurants are open are open specifically for delivery and pickup. So this happened uh, in California. So this oh, is in yay. your neck of the woods. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
California, so, where? You know, no, we're a pretty big state. Where, where did yeah, it happen? Absolutely. So this is in SoCal. Okay, so no mooning over Miami. This half-naked woman was topless, but the, she did serve up her own version of Grand Slam, destroying at least 100 plates at a SoCal Denny's in Hawthorne, California. <laughs> Oh, in Hawthorne. Oh, I know Hawthorne. <laughs> Hawthorne. Now, Vicki, you said, oh, Hawthorne. Uh, that tells yeah. me you might have some sort of comment there. Oh, and Vicki, the woman wasn't named, but in the name of all justice, where were you at the time? <laughs> I would never be topless, okay? That's not me. So but... she's a man that you would destroy 120 Denny's plates. Oh, I could do that easily. <laughs> well, it can't be her um, because fact, she's not going to be. It, depending on where in Hawthorne that Denny's is, I might have eaten at that Denny's many times. Because um, on my travels to San Diego, which thanks to COVID, uh, I haven't done in the past four months, but I travel there <laughs> from where I live. I traveled through Hawthorne twice on my way there and back, and there's a Denny's right off the freeway that I use. So who knows? Who knows if I actually have been to that Denny's? But, yeah, Hawthorne is where the freeway is not finished yet, and they have been uh, – she could just be pissed off because of the freeway because on one side of the freeway is Anaheim where it's nice and beautiful and the other side is where there's um, uh, uh, Irvine which is really beautiful with all the rich people and so in the middle there is Hawthorne and woohoo not very rich there <laughs> Mhm. Yeah, and I just yeah. picture all these people who own a Denny's sitting going, uh, I wish Waffle House would open back up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I know somebody who does own three uh, Denny's here in Fresno. Uh, he's a character in himself. But anyway, um, yeah, those people are very unhappy right now. <laughs> well, well, you know, the one thing you got to admit that, that since uh, – uh, there's only pickup and, and, and delivery, you know, at least, you know, she's destroying things that Denny's doesn't really need right now. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I, I, I mean, I, they must have had this whole pile of plates and she came in and just decided, you know, I'm topless. I need to throw some of these around. I don't know what it is, but you got to admit sometimes when you're, you're cooped up with with uh, uh, quarantine and COVID. Sometimes you just go a little nuts, and you got to right. throw some plates. So there you go, folks. That, my friends, is the swing of the week. Swing. Well, we're we're definitely entertaining people. That's a good thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so. <laughs> okay. Oh, what was in that cigarette that you passed around the studio 
show before air. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was thinking it was a specific blend of non-tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, I, I tell you, it's it's wonderful to have you on because I know you're. I mean, I've I've known Tom on on the internet for for ages, and uh, and just he's one of the funniest people I have ever run across on, on Facebook. So so there you go. And by the way, Tom, that was given to us by by Alice. So you can next yes. time you talk to Alice. I'll mention it. Up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're here to talk about Walter Hill. Now Walter Hill, uh film director uh, and of course, uh, producer and writer. Uh, and uh, when the the interesting thing is, I don't know, Vicky knows, but but I did talk to uh, Tom and 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 Stephen. He started out in in the uh, business as a uh, assistant director and second sis- assistant director, and he was actually second assistant director of two major films. One being Bullet with Steve McQueen. And the other That's one being the Woody Allen started. Film. Yep. Okay. Then you tell us. He started. He was. He uh, was educated in uh, history, and he started in um, documentaries actually. And then the films that you're talking about are were his big breaks. Right. He started right. out yeah, as he a documentarian. Was a, he, Mm-hmm. And he was educated, if I remember right, at uh, Michigan State or University yep. of Michigan. Uh-huh. He wanted to get a, away from his, his family, <laughs> like most people that age want to do. And uh, um, and so he ended up in Michigan, which is quite a different from California, where he was uh, born and raised. And so that gives him a lot of um, experience. Experience back in the 1950s, 60s, 70s. Yep. Yep. And so, so anyway, I, I was just going to say Bullet, and then of course he also worked with uh, with uh, uh, Woody Allen on Take the Money and Run, which I find interesting to say the least. Which he was, yeah, assistant director, which is very interesting because his his you know what i found interesting about that is that he didn't um he didn't follow in a, a woody allen type footsteps he made his no. own way he totally we're talking about walter hill because walter hill is a specific um like his own pathway so that's what's cool Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know what? That's a good bridge to, like, let's talk about what that own pathway entails. Because one of the things that interests me about his work is sort of the same thing as with Hitchcock or Ford. He keeps mining these same motifs and these same themes. Mm hmm. Yeah. And um, and he does it in his own way. He doesn't really um, steal from anyone else or borrow or whatever. He he decided to become his own man or his own person and his own personality within the writing, the directing, 
the producing, which is you know hard to do in Hollywood. Yeah, because there there are things that you kind of expect from a Walter Hill film, though. You know, one everybody's got a bad attitude. (laughs) You know, everybody. Um, There's almost always a scene set in a bar with live music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite often that bar is named Torchies. Yep. Another, that, 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 uh, in, the driver, in the driver, that's where we meet Bruce Stern. He's playing pool mm-hmm. in Torchies. Uh, Richard Pryor and John Candy go to there at the beginning of uh, Brewster's Millions. Um, another 48, or 48 Hours has that same Torchies that... Uh, the driver has. It's the same bar in San Francisco. And right. then in Streets of Fire, that's a biker bar. Yep. Right. Right. It's the coolest biker bar. Oh, tell me you didn't want to go to that. There oh. wasn't a number of sequels in 48 Hours. I mean, if there was, it would have been a good movie and existed, but I don't think there ever was. What? Ever uh, was. Um, there never oh. was a sequel to 48 Hours. Oh, yes, there was. <laughs> no, no, no. He, Hill, he just because... That's the only movie <laughs> I've ever seen where everybody on the set didn't want to be there. <laughs> well, we were talking about that earlier, Tom and I, and, and uh, basically uh, the, the, the releasing company forced them to do a sequel. None of them wanted to do it. But they they were contractually uh, uh, made to do it, so they came up with another forty eight hours. And unfortunately, it's yeah, it's not real. It, there is no sequel. I agree. And I watched that again in the last couple of days, forty eight hours. And boy, that's one that just did not stand up for me this time around. Uh, yeah, I can agree. Are you talking 48 hours or, or the sequel? Uh, 40, 48 hours. Oh, okay. So it didn't hold up for yeah, you. Yeah, okay. it is a, a weird creature because it's a 70s film, but it's not a 70s film. But it's an 80s film, but it's not an 80s film. You're on to something there, yes. Mm-hmm. It, it had this look of a 70s film, but it had like this star thing going on. Because that was Eddie Murphy's screen debut. Yeah. You know, so they were chasing Animal House. You know, like John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. Another SNL hit. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that was really at the peak of Nick Nolte's time as a star. Yeah. Very much so. Um, and and the other thing, too, I, I have to at least uh, defend it to a certain degree because uh, 48 Hours has that one scene which I just think is brilliant, and that's the scene, of course, in Torchies, in, 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 in the uh, Redneck Bar. Yeah, that's uh, the Yeah, yeah. That's the scene that made that movie. Without that, without that scene, that movie would have been okay. 
But that scene. I think Magic Johnson said something to uh, you had to be in a black theater at that moment in time to see what see that reaction of the black audiences when Eddie Murphy talked crap to the rednecks. Oh yeah. Or oh, just was out here in the West. Do you know what? And this can bridge into something I know we want to talk about. Um, one of the things that majorly disappointed me in 48 Hours was Annette O'Toole's role. You know, it was Annette O'Toole, yeah. obligatory. And, you know, I was talking right. with Carl a little earlier, and I was saying that, you know, women, if they exist in his films, rarely stand out but yet he like balances that in his career with the alien movies Mhm. very true very true but most of the alien movies he produced so mm-hmm. I mean I, I'm not trying to downplay the producer part because being a producer as I am producing a movie right now uh, is a big role but it's not writing it, and it's not directing it. It is um, a different type. So um, I think by you pointing that out, you can see the difference of him as a writer-director and a producer when it comes to using women in film. Well, don't forget, until the last second, uh, Ripley was a male role. Right. Well, Ridley Scott's the one who wanted to change that. Right. And speaking of uh, what Tom said about uh, Walter Hill and his bitter guys, you don't get much bitter than Carl's favorite from the early 70s, which is still a good movie, even though Bill Cosby has got that reputation. Yeah, un- unfortunately, uh, the first uh, uh, credit he got as far as the screenplay was Hickey and Boggs, uh, and it's it's a damn good movie, and 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 I'm not I'm not saying anything about Bill Cosby or anything like that, but if you just uh, take a look at the movie itself, well let me let me finish. Uh, if you take a look at the movie itself, it's it's a really good underseen noir of of the seventies. It truly is. One other movie I want to just mention uh, because he did a lot of screenplays before he directed. Um, he did the screenplay to The Getaway, but he also gave, he also did one of my favorite films uh, uh, of the uh, '70s that he wrote, and that's The Thief Who Came to Dinner. And no one talks about that little gem, you know. Uh, and then The Macintosh Man and the Drowning Pool. But there, there you go with the screenplays before he started to direct. So, well, the so thief who's came not to dinner, most people those. were calling it a whip-off of, what's that one that Peckinpah did with uh, Steve McQueen? The Chronicles Thomas Crown Affair. Thomas Crown Affair. What, what was it? Uh, no. What did Peckinpah and Steve McQueen is Getaway. Yeah. Well, who was in the Thomas, well, well, Crown, Thomas Affair. Crown Affair? Thomas Crown Affair is Norman Jewison, isn't it? It's oh, Norman yeah, Jewison yeah, or Sidney yeah, Pollack. Yeah. yeah. But still, Thomas that was Crown the Affair one is... that they considered the thief who came to dinner a 
no, 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 no. Uh, you may have not seen it for a while, but The Thief Who Came to Dinner is a very lighthearted caper film. Uh, and the person, uh, the, two people who, the two people who really make that movie is not Ryan O'Neill, but it's uh, Austin Pendleton and the whole thing of he's a chess master uh, uh, in San Francisco paper. And, Carl, and, and, I'm and talking so about it. the public perception and the reviewer's perception when it came out. Well, I, I think whoever the reviewer was is full crap, but that's beside the point. And don't yeah. forget oh, that I, is the point. That, yeah, and the thief who came to dinner, don't forget Warren Oates. Warren Oates is fucking awesome in that movie. Well, it has an incredible cast. Ryan O'Neill, Jackie Bissett, Warren Oates, Joe Clayberg. Charles C. Offey, Ned Beatty, Austin Pendleton, Michael Murphy, John Hellerman, Gregory Sierra, and it, Bud Yorkin directed it. No, they, no, from Hill, All in the Family. The, yeah, I forget who yeah, directed That's it. something I want to see. Yeah, it's, yeah, Bud Yorkin directed that. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's a good little film. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Definitely recommend it. Um, and so, so here we go. Uh, he also did two uh, the Macintosh Man and the Drowning Pool, as far as screenplays, and those are are both uh, Lou Harper uh, uh, mysteries with uh, uh, Paul Newman. Uh, they're okay. Yes, but it, it, well. I was reading his comments in IMDB today, and Houston rewrote most of Macintosh Man. Right. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And a drowning doesn't pool was the better of the two films. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I like Drowning Pool. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Uh. But there you go. So so now, instead of going through, uh, you know, film by film and that sort of thing, I thought I'd, I'd just uh, get it out here, and and we'll start with you, Vicky. If you had a favorite Walter Hill film that he directed, what would it be? Um, it would be... Uh, okay, God... If I have to choose one, do I can only choose one or what? Oh well, oh, you could you could do. Let's do two. Let's do two. Okay, two well, each of okay, wait, wait. I'll just say that I really, really like the Long Riders. He didn't write it. He didn't produce it. He directed it. So it is yeah. purely directed by him. And I've right. always loved that movie. The Long Riders has all these great actors in it. They're all brothers. It's a it's it's just this really creative um, group of people coming together, wanting to tell a particular story in a particular way, and I, I don't know. I'll watch that movie any time, any day of the week, any time during quarantine, whatever, because. It, uh, it's directed, of course, really well. I like I love Walter Hill as a director. But it was this collaborative thing that they all came together to do. So, yeah, I guess maybe on top of 
everything is um, is the Long Riders. And it's the Keach Brothers, uh, the Carradines, the Quakes, and the Gats. And the Quakes. The Quakes and the Gats. Yes, and the Quakes. Yeah. They're and it has one of my best line, favorite lines ever in the Western. Boys, what do you do? Ma'am, we're train robbers. Well, what does that mean? We rob people. <laughs> well, and what, what, what I liked about Long Riders, and I saw this maybe six or eight months ago again, was it's a one everybody in there is fucking to get be the bull goose loony. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a constant power struggle. Mm-hmm. And it has one of the best Calamity Janes, too. Well, I was just going to go there. It's not Calamity Jane. It's Pamela Reed as Bell Star, and she right. is right. friggin' amazing in this movie. And and uh, the sparks between her and and uh, and David Carradine is uh, just wow, fucking wow. It's great film, and she's wonderful in it. Yeah, everyone is. That's why I like it oh, so absolutely. much. Everyone is. It's like a highlight now, for all of them. Each each one of them, each one of the actors has a highlighted scene. And that's really mm-hmm. great, no matter who they are. Right. Very true. Uh, and one other thing, you, you talk, talk about being collaborative, and, and, and this name will come up a lot because he worked a lot with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, Walter Hill. And that would be Ry Cooter. Right, yeah, Cooter, that was the first right. time they worked together. No, yeah. second. The first time was Southern Comfort. I should know it's my first Walter Hill no. film. Long Riders is 1980. Southern Comfort is 81. I'm looking at the thing. What, so the music for Southern Comfort was done before the music for the Long Riders? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Even though one came yeah, out I, before the other? Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, well, all Southern of it, look at 1981 uh, for film? Right. What does Southern, that mean? But Southern Comfort was, was in post-production a lot longer. So uh, he is right in terms that that it was filmed. It was like filmed right before, and then they went right into uh, Long Riders. And the reason they went into Long Riders was they had a uh, – uh, the, the releasing company wanted it out right away, so so they sort of put put Southern Comfort on hold, and so while they were filming uh, uh, Long Riders, Cooter was doing the soundtrack to Southern Comfort, and then did the soundtrack to. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, actually he, he's right on that. Stephen is right on that. Uh, but nonetheless, I always go by by release date. Um, so anyway, well, it doesn't really uh, matter when it comes to film like that when they're that close know. together. Plus, you know, um, some of the, the actors are the same too. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of like the two films meld together. Oh yeah, and I can tell you, I fell in love with Southern Comfort as soon as I heard that main theme over the credits. Oh yeah. Uh, Cooter, Cooter to me is one of the great uh, soundtrack people, and a lot of people don't 
give him credit right. enough. I mean, he, you know, people will mention uh, Paris, Texas, which he did with Wim Benders. But his major, major person that he worked with on in, 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 in most films for a good period of time, which was 10 years, was Walter Hill. And, and, and uh, you talked about earlier, Tom, about, you know, uh, live music and music being such a big part of Walter Hill. Uh, uh, very, very true here. And they found, they found they were extremely compatible. So it worked out real well. So, Almost so, to the point where, like, you can tell which of the projects were closest to his heart because, you know, like 48 hours and another 48 hours there, um, somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, when he's got Walter Hill with him, you know it's going to be heartfelt. Right. Exactly. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Right. Agreed. So, so, Tom, if you had a favorite film of Walter Hill's, what would it be? And actually, I know the answer to this because we talked earlier. Hands down, Streets of Fire. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Uh, he, he, you know what? He sets it as a fable, another time, another place, and that sort of frees him from having to be real. I mean, that mm-hmm. takes place in a world that's as real as, like, the bandwagon. You know, it's all on mm-hmm. sets. You know, and he, it's damn near a musical. Uh, you know, I, it's yeah. just... And once they start, after he rescues her, and that, like, whole thing where they pick up Deborah von Valkenburg... And then they pick up the Sorrells. And you don't know where it's going. No. It's just probably the movie I've seen the most in my life. And it's a sequel without being a sequel. Tell them this. This is cool. Go ahead. What? What happened was that we all know and love the Warriors from 1979. Right. Well, Walter Hill had a script for it that he wanted to make badly, but he never could get the money to make for it. So he took that script and reworked it by changing the characters' names and all that because he didn't have the rights to them, and boof, we got Streets of Fire. Right, and that's that's very true. He he envisioned sort of this idea of of, of the warriors like ten years later, uh, and then yes. and then it, it, he couldn't do it because because of rights and that sort of thing. So he got in Larry Gross, and they they both rewrote it, and they came up with this particular piece of celluloid, which I just friggin' love this movie. I love I, this there, There's I, nothing like it before it. <laughs> you know? And the one okay, thing about I, it is, is I, I saw this in New York City in the 80s when it came out. Uh, and it came out in 84. And I went to a, 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 a matinee on the Friday it opened. And there were only like 30 people there. And I came out of there like, what the fuck? 
That thing should be filled. So everyone I told, I said, you got to go see this. And and the uh, they all said, well, it's got terrible reviews. I'm not going to go see it. And then, you know, unfortunately it failed. But thank God for VHS. Because once VHS came, this got its rightful place as, as a great film. Okay, what were you going to say, Vicky? Sure. I was going to say that um, really, in my mind, being the kind of mind mind is, always in the science fiction dystopian and everything, there is a film that is before it that feels like a sequel to it. Or it it's like if you watch Escape from New York, then you should watch Streets of Fire because they go together. Like what yeah. Tom was saying about Streets of Fire, not just that it's almost a musical, because um, Escape from New York isn't almost a musical, even though music is really important in it. Um, it is uh, all done on set. Everything is a set. Everything is, is in the studio. And that makes those films connected in that way and it makes them a lot alike. They're both dystopian. You can't say they're not. And they, they're they dark. Their themes sort of run together. Um, I just, in my mind, even though they're separated by three or four years, I think it's three years, um, in my mind, those two films are brother-sister films. Yeah. Brother-sister. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Just on this kind of same topic, you know, I saw Warriors in the movie theater when it first came out, and what what is that? Seventy four, seventy five. I have it's seventy nine. It says seventy nine on IMDb. Seventy nine. Okay, so I saw this in the movie theater, and I was like, you know, this white kid from this all-white suburb in Michigan, and what? I didn't like it. And you know what? Later viewings, I've come to like it, but it's the fact that it is Streets of Fire. It takes place in this whole self-world, while Warriors Mm -hmm. takes place in New York City. But then there's these weird fantasy things, like those guys in the baseball bats showing up out of nowhere. You know, it's yeah. like, well, you know, that doesn't happen in New York City. Well, in West you know, Side Story, it the does. thing that caused a budget, well, the hell couldn't do, he wanted to do the Warriors like Streets of Fire. It's all out post-apocalyptic fantasy, but he didn't have the money to do it. And the biggest script they did with Streets of Fire is that the soundtrack to Streets of Fire did not come out till after the movie had flopped and left theaters. And the soundtrack became one of the biggest hits of that summer. And they didn't oh, yeah. put it back in the theaters, pushing it, using the soundtrack. <laughs> so you had all these people that were... Got the soundtrack thought, I love these songs. I can't wait for the movies to come out. And then it hit VHS, and everyone who loved the soundtrack went straight for the movie there and fell in love with it. But mm-hmm. the, the music had primed them for it. 
Absolutely. I was surprised when I said that I was going to be on this and that I love Streets of Fire, how many people responded. Oh, I love that. I love that. It does oh, have yeah. quite a following. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, what about Carl and Steve? What are your favorites? Well, before we do that, I, I need to say a couple things about, about this. Uh, so the interesting thing, we talked about the cast. But the first thing I want to say is the first five minutes of Streets of Fire, when you talk about opening credit sequences, that five minutes is just friggin' awesome. I put that in top five opening credit sequences of all time. The wipes, everything, just perfectly edited. It's well done with the music with Ry Cooter in the background. Um, right, and that's one. The other thing too is, look at that cast. You know, Michael Parade, Di- Diane Lane is the main character. But you know, the, uh, the are they not the most about. beautiful? Com- they're the most beautiful couple. They're perfect yeah. for that. They shine their faces. <laughs> it's just oh my god, they're perfect. Okay, that's but but be- but t- take a look at this. Okay. Uh, how much did he go out on a limb by casting Rick Moranis as Billy Fish? Which was not something you would expect, but it's brilliant. But here's the thing. All of those guys, none of them were known back then. These were their first roles. You know, you you cast Uh, in a movie like this, you cast um, people that are are just now blossoming. mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and well, the one other thing I have to I have to say because we were talking about this earlier with Tom, uh, you know, we're talking about strong women. Well, let me tell you something. Amy Madigan kicks yeah. fucking ass in this movie. She's just awesome. Well, and and you were saying that uh, like Ripley, it was written for a man, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. Yeah, remember Cowboy? I mean, no, Rembrandt from the Warriors. That was who Amy Madigan's character was supposed to be. Here's right. the breakdown. Uh, Michael Pere was Swan. Uh, of Deborah, the lead, Diane Ladd was uh, the Mexican girl they picked up. Uh, William Defoe was Ajax. The cop that's a friend of... Uh, Parades. That was that was cowboy. Right. Like, yeah, that would be one, one last yeah. visual image from that. Well, Phelan Defoe coming out of that fire in those black waders oh, and yeah. the face of the devil. <laughs> oh, yeah. You no, know, it's like oh my God, it's the devil incarnate. What happened was that you've heard of Catherine Bigelow's The Nameless, which came out before Streets of Fire, right? Yes. He's seen William Defoe in leather in that, and he's like, I have to have this guy as my villain. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Without a doubt, we we love William Defoe. And and one other person we got to mention is Bill Paxton. As the bartender. Yes. The great Bill Paxton. You know, that he regularly reused 
people all the time, and Bill Paxton was one of them. Yeah. You know, right. uh, uh, Miranda so shows up in Brewster's Millions. Right, yeah. you're right about that. If you wanted a douchebag in the early 80s, you would probably hire him in the role. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Stephen, now it's your turn. If you had a favorite Walter Hill. that are not my favorite. My favorites are Southern Comfort and probably the Warriors. But these three are the most underseen that I love, and I want to rank them on how they are underseen. Number three would probably be Crossroads. I love that one, but it doesn't get the love it deserves. That's got great music. Oh, that's, my God. Agreed. <laughs> And it has Ralph Macchio just at that get at that point where he's like you can see he's a man and a kid, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's just oh charming. And I love that bit where he plays a kid up into the scene where Jamie Gertz left and him and Joe Senator are talking. He's like, you know what the blues is? It's just a good man feeling bad. So Ralph Macchio just grabs his guitar and that bottle of booze and just starts playing the best blue, one of the best blues songs you hear in that movie. Yeah, seriously. seriously. And number two Great is one I wish they would come out with just a good copy. I don't care about extras, and that's Extreme Prejudice. Powers Booth, man. Powers Booth. Powers Booth. Nick Nolte, uh, Bill Paxton again, and just and William Sanderson. Yeah. How has yeah. this movie not got a bigger cult than it does? Very true. Very true. What do you guys think of Extreme Prejudice? I've seen it, it so long ago that I can't really comment on it. See, that's the mm-hmm. point. Yeah, and number I don't. one is one that I was shocked that wasn't even released to theaters. I had to go to some grungy little pay per view outfit on satellite that showed nothing but crap like uh, subpar trauma films and uh, uh, unknown 70s explanation films to see Johnny Handsome. How was that movie in uh. love? Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Very underrated film. Um, I mean, just Mickey look at Rourke. the main cast. Ellen Burstyn, Lance Hendrickson, Mickey Rourke at his best, uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Seriously. Great film. And Great film. Have you guys uh, seen gonna... that one? I haven't. Again, so long ago that I can't make a coherent comment on it. And by the way, we we have to mention two other actors in there, uh, which were not mentioned. Um, One would be Forrest Whitaker as the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then Scott Wilson. Oh my God! Ow! (laughs) And so Elizabeth (laughs) McGovern gets no love at all. Yeah, she's great in it. She play her. She plays like the noir good girl in this one. Right, right. 
But what it's about is Mickey Rourke plays this guy who has like an elephant man type of deformity who gets set up and uh, killed and left for dead by Lance Henriksen and Ellen Burstyn. So as a part of a way to get off death row, he gets uh, plastic surgery by Forrest Whitaker's character, and he comes back on the street and sets out for revenge. Yep. If you so like 50 hardcore noir, that is one to see. Okay. Well, it's based on a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a 1972 novel. It, it, I tell you, definitely, if you get a chance to see it, I don't care if it's at Amazon Prime or wherever it is, see it. Seriously, it is a great little movie. MGM made it, but then they decided for some reason not to release it. Even Walter Hill has said in interviews, he don't know why they didn't release it. He had to fight to get it on VHS, people. Fight to get it on VHS. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it's it's pretty downbeat. I mean, you know, uh, and, and of course, look at the year it was done. It was done in 89. So, you know, to me, that's that's a 70s movie done in 1989. I don't know if you would agree with me on that, Stephen, but, but yeah, I think that's part of it. Was of it was right before the 90s dark noir kicked in, so it was about two years too early. Yeah, yeah, but but really well done. Now, but if I have to say anything... I love this film. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, but, keep but going. if I have I'm... to say a favorite, I've I, I got to mention another film. Actually, i got to mention two. Uh, but if I have to say a favorite, it's got to be The Driver. I fucking love this movie. It's uh, A, it's got Bruce Dirt at his oiliest. I, I mean, seriously. How can you not like that as, as, as a uh, rogue cop? you got Ryan O'Neill as, as, uh, as the driver. Okay, you have Isabella Johnny as the player. Uh, and Ronnie Blakely as the connection, and they none of them have names, but but also some really good uh, uh, Joseph Walsh, uh, uh, who is a character actor from that period of time, is just so good in this movie, so good, and it's a, a really stripped down uh, 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 character study of this cop after this driver, who who drives. Uh, uh, crooks after they, they rob a place and they rob a casino. And um, it's, it, it, it's just something. It really, really is. Yeah, and one some of my of the, favorite lines ever said by a girl ever in a noir. She looks at him and goes, you only get hard when you're behind the wheel, don't you? He just looks <laughs> at her and goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's, it, it, it is a Brilliant film. Uh, now, do you guys know this at all, Tom or Vicky? Not really. Yes, I saw, I saw it this week. Okay, um, what did you think, Tom? Uh, I had a hard time staying with it. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, I kept it on and I kept watching it. You know, there's a lot of car chases and, you know, 
I, I, I no, didn't let, really like it. Well, you know, a lot of people didn't. Okay, trust me, a lot of people didn't. And 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 I have a Derek Ferguson, who's a very good friend of mine, and, and Vicky knows him too. Uh, did a review of it and just like tore it apart. And I don't know what it is, but it's just really stripped down, just very simple battle of wills. And I connect to that. I connect to that. Now, one other movie I have to have to mention, which we haven't mentioned yet, is okay. Uh, before we move direction. on, be, Carl. Before we yeah, move on, now, did you see that Baby Driver that was based on that? Well, I saw Baby Driver. It's okay. Doesn't really do much it's for okay. me. It's okay. It's okay. Now, all right. In that movie, there was no equal to the Isabella uh, Johnny character, was there? No. 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 Okay. All right. That's all. That's what I wanted to clear up. You can proceed. Okay. Wait. Okay. Wait. Wait. Okay, cool. What about the other Driver movie with um, Babyface in it? What's his name? Um, who R- looks like Ryan, Ryan O'Neill? Acts like Ryan O'Neill. Yes. Drive. Ryan Gosling and Driver. That? that one's good. And but isn't that like the same film almost? The same story? Yeah. It's definitely a nod to the driver. It's definitely a nod. It's not exactly the same story. No, I disagree. I I like the driver much better than drive. But but That's we've talked about you like uh, Terrence Malick films. You like films that are like dogs slowly dragging their butt through a field <laughs> in slow motion <laughs> at one third speed. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the tree of life, so I have to like say okay. <laughs> I like the tree of life like just because it got theaters put up signs that says you cannot get a refund after the first five minutes of this movie. Ah, uh, yes, your anti-Malik has come out like it usually does. But we want I want to talk about one other film. Um, and that, to me, is probably one of the top three films that uh, Charles Bronson was ever in, along mm-hmm. with James yeah. Hopper. And that would be Hard Times, which was Walter Hill's uh, debut as a director. And, and, Vicki, I know you know this film pretty well, don't you? Not pretty well. I know this film, but okay, you're you're talking to the person that doesn't like seventies films, especially early seventies films. So, um, you know, come but on. I thought you were you you were a Bronson fan. I am a Bronson fan, but that doesn't mean I like everything that he's in. Well, um, oh, haven't you forgotten what me and uh, What's his name? Uh, who wrote the Bronson book? Slowly explained to you, but you didn't listen. Uh oh. There are two kinds of Bronson fans. They are pre Death Wish fans <laughs> and post Death Wish fans. Okay. That means most of the post Death Wish fans like his films seventy five up. Mhm. And pre, you like them, like the early ones, like Cold Sweat, uh, 
Red Sun and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, I watched Red, Red Sun with you guys. I like it. Isn't that what we mm-hmm. watched a couple weeks ago? And, yeah, I mean, I like that. It's just that there's some things about 70s movies, and I don't know if it's because of the technology, the cinematography, what it is. I just can't sit through them. So when you say, I like Charles Bronson. No names. Yes, that's one of Carl's downfalls is his love of everything the 70s. But anyway. Go uh, ahead, no, Josh. it's one of my great, great things that I love, okay? Sorry, I don't downfall, okay? It's not a puzzle, and I'm not a child, and that's a really weird reference there, but Are nonetheless. You sure? <laughs> Subtext. That one was for Daniel Kramer, okay? Okay, never mind. I'll explain later. <laughs> You say you're not a child, but then when you didn't have cheese last week and it was two days late, you was rolling on the floor pouting. Okay, I'm bored. I'm bored. I know your <laughs> listeners must be bored. But get on to hard times. Okay? Yes. Yeah. So what's your, your thoughts on it, Tom? Uh, you know what? I tried to watch it once maybe a year or two ago and turned it off. Um, movies about two guys beating each other up. No, no. Uh, yeah. Got through Raging Bull once, and I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that. Uh, Hills Undisputed. That's about two guys beating each other up. That feels bad. You know. Yeah. Well. So you know, yeah, yeah. A, it wasn't. I, it was not. I was not its target market. But you well, Go ahead, Steve. No, I just like the way you put that. That's nice. Yeah. yeah well, you know, I mean, that's one thing about Hill. A lot of his films are about <laughs> machismo. Okay, and if you and don't... All of them are. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> all, all of them are. Yeah. Aliens. Aliens, definitely. Uh, oh, please, yes, aliens. All of them. <laughs> you know, another one we haven't mentioned would be Red Heat. That's another one. That's Machismo. <laughs> you know what? I, I tried to watch that and eventually turned it off this week. Um, I'm not a fan of Jim Belushi. You know, he finds himself funnier than I find him. Uh, who is a fan of right. Bill Belushi? I, I like him much. The, the, I like him much better as a dramatic actor than uh, a comedy actor. I think he yeah. he does it better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's what I like about the principal. It's the mean little B action film where there's no comedy in it at all. Is there, Carl? No, there isn't. Sorry. Oh. Hi, Mouse. Shut Mouse up, is Mouse. back there yipping. All Where right, folks. Me look mean at. So, 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 Vicky, do you want to talk a little bit about Alien and and what he's done um, as far as producing? 
Well, I like the fact that um, the first one, um, that he was intrigued enough by it to want to uh, be a part of it. And then as things were moving along and, you know, from one person to an, or one company to another, you know, he dropped out, but he was still intrigued by it enough to stay connected so that he was um, connected to the next movie and then the next movie after that. And then several of these try to reboot it. So, um, I mean, Walter Hill isn't the greatest um, sci-fi writer, director, but he did write Aliens, which is that machismo you were talking about, all that that testosterone-driven, you know, action. Uh That's what Aliens is, whereas Alien itself was a quiet film, and it was character-driven, whereas Aliens is more action-driven. But mm-hmm. that's what that that's what that needed to be. If it was another character driven film, that probably would have been the last of the alien films. So and Walter Hill came like in at the right point. point what? Aliens isn't testosterone driven, it's estrogen driven. No, it is not. No. Uh, let no. Me explain. No, just cause Wait, um, let me explain. just because Ripley Vicky, does that wait. at the end. No. Yeah, she's fighting to save her daughter. And the alien queen doesn't come after Ripley until Ripley kills her babies. So it's mama versus mama. No, that is at the end of the movie, everything that happens in Alien is testosterone-driven, testosterone, sorry, driven. Yeah, but look at the women in our fast Ripley, they're no, all tough. That is, Look at the tough guy, Hudson. He he just falls Sub- apart. Uh, he's Sub- confusing. I think Steve is confusing alien and aliens. Yeah, yeah. Alien. You know, why don't we just say alien and alien too? There you go. Because yeah, I don't alien. know how to put him Now, alien. <laughs> Only I got that one, Stephen. That's okay. <laughs> the alien okay. is what what Tom was saying about Walter Hill, Walter Hill films, and um, all that punching back and forth. That's what Aliens is. It's a punch here and a punch there. Whether it's the the corporation whether it's the Marines, whether it's the aliens fighting back, it's all about punch, 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 punch with the subtext of the characters, the mom, and then the way in which Ripley comes out of it. Again, they had to make Ripley the heroine. They had to. Oh, yeah, so there's no question about that. that that motherly thing, everyone in the fan base was looking for, well, what does the queen look like? If this is a, if the aliens are like a hive, where's the queen? So they took what the fans wanted and wrote in the queen. Then so they had the queen and the mom themes going through it. But, but half of that movie is, is testosterone driven. 
to the last third. I don't know. I'm with yes. And, and having the, the, the mother team, you know, she's protecting Newt. Um, she is then allowed to act like all those testosterone guys in the Marines, you know? It's that mother instinct that allows her, you know, it's, you know, just the same way being a Marine allows the Latina woman in the beginning of the movie to be that much. Right. Right. And you know what? She turns into a a caring character by, by at the very end where she protects everyone. Yes, Marines are supposed to do that, but her character is softened by taking the, um, the bomb, the grenade with the guy that they were all laughing about, the officer who had never been in any kind of war, the two of them together and softening her character. So, Oh, I love that. I'm going to write about that. (laughs) Yeah, but still my favorite line in the movie is still the one I would have followed in that mess, and that'd be Newt. She lasted, like, this little girl here lasted a whole month without any protection in any arms. Hell, let's put her in charge then. (laughs) Now, now, I find it curious that out of the Alien movies, he actually has a screenwriting credit for Alien 3. Which is oh. one of the most bizarre ones that out of that group. Right. It is oh, a bizarre that? movie. Totally bizarre. Goes against everything that was set up in the first two movies to to make some kind of point um that Carl seems to love. And <laughs> I, so, I do. I love the bastard stepchildren. I'm like everyone what's knows. Funny is, is that If you really look it up, there's ten accredited writers to Alien 3. Yeah, they didn't know what that was. 20 or more, if you count the uncredited writers. Now on IMDb, there's three. With a story by Vincent Ward, the characters are based on characters based on Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusset, but the screenplay is... Tyler Hill and Ferguson. Exactly. Right. But well, I know that David Fincher had to turn into script. So did Peter Jackson, and Walter Hill had to turn on the script, which he's credited for. And there's a lot more that were accredited. Right. Yeah. Well, David Fincher only had um, a turn on the script because he ended up being the director for the end project. And so he had to try to couple together everything that he was given. There was only one real uh, mandate. It's like alien Ripley lands on an alien planet. Uh, Hudson and Newt has died and the aliens inside her. After that, they could just do whatever they wanted. Well, no, because like with these sequels, you always have the android blowing up and spewing white blood every place. Somebody's got to get grasped by the thing that attaches to their face, and it's got to pop out of somebody's belly. 
You know, yeah. those are the, and, uh, it's like the original to have script those. one with the burning planet, it was, uh, what's his name, the android, Bishop. One of the face right. huggers that's hidden inside of his guts. But I think oh, no, one of the things it. this series does benefit from is that each time it's another director. It's a new, while they rehash the same plot points, it's got a new look to it. Mm-hmm. True. Very true. Uh, so let's, let's move on from the Alien franchise because there's uh, one other uh, uh, thing that he produced, a TV show that we need to talk about. And, and it's yeah. Walter Hill. And that would be Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. And that would be the HBO show. So let's just go around the horn here. We'll start with you, Tom. Uh, what did you think of uh, the TV show Tales from the Crypt? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> Everything about it. Right. I did... Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's there no more than that? Right? Yeah, yeah. I but, mean, but, you know, it's like uh, I, I, at half of the time I mix up Tales from the Crypt with Creep Show. Yeah. Well, they're all well, based on that same Tales from Dark Side, so on and so on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I I love the Crypt Keeper, and and of course that's Kevin Yeager. Uh, the voice behind the the puppet. Uh, Duncan Bell was uh, the voice of the puppet. Oh, okay. Oh, Kevin Yeager was the puppeteer. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, I love that. And, and, of course, I love the original uh, EC comic uh, and Tales from the Crypt and so on and so forth. So I was I was in on this from the beginning. And... and uh, Particularly the first season, I think, is absolutely Who thrilling. still has their EC comics locked away in a treasure chest? I do. Oh, Who knows I'm envious. Yes, My mom found mine and, and, and uh, tossed it in the garbage. It's a long story. I'll tell it sometime. Um, yeah. And I was, Actually, I was brought up with... Hold on, Steve. Hold on. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, I was going to say, I was brought up in a household where if we're going to spend money on you buying something for you to read, it's going to be something worthwhile. No comic yeah. books. I never had them. Which kind of uh, like, now that everything is comic book movies, I find myself sort of dissociated from. You know, I don't have any childhood connection to... Iron Man, Superman, any of these people. Well, I grew up with all boys. And so also I was very unlucky and lucky both, I guess, to have parents that weren't really in my life watching what I was reading. So I could buy whatever books I wanted and whatever comics I wanted. So I, I don't know. That's how I became a comic book person. And I have Tales of the Crypt. Stepped away somewhere, really secret. <laughs> nice, nice. 
Okay. Uh, Stephen, I know you had, tried to uh, talk about tail. Wait, let me tell my story. Being youngling, I had the Gladstone reprints that came out in the late 80s that were like double books and had like uh, two issues. They put out three series. They put out uh, one that was Tales in the Crypt, Vault of Fear, and the other one was Vault of Horror, Shock Suspense Story, and the third was the War Comics. Oh, yeah. Nice. Nice. So, so Danny so Elfman did the theme music for yeah. right. Tales of the Crypt. Mm-hmm. So that must be one of his first real big coups for himself and his. No, he he done he done. He'd already done stuff. Oh, okay. hey, Tim Burton. Tim, Tim Burton was his ticket in. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right, that's right. Well, we're because when he used to be with the Oingo Boingo. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Don't forget Forbidden, forbidden Zone with the Zone. Oingo Boingo. Absolutely, Forbidden Zone. Fucking love that movie. So, so Stephen, I know you have some things to talk about from Tales of the Crypt. I know this is one of your favorites. So talk, talk a little bit about your My thoughts. My favorite on episode of Tales from the Crypt. It's, it was on the first episode of the first show. And it was an adaption of a story from Crime Crime Shock Suspense, I think, issue 12. And it was The Man Who Was Death. And that's Walter Hill and William Sandler as the guy who was uh, executing people who he thought got away with murder. God, is that such an amazing freaking 30 minutes. Yeah, and, 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 well, actually, they were an hour, I think. Uh, no, it but was a 90-minute episode. It was, uh, it was three 30-minute episodes. It was uh, All Through the Night, Robert Zemeckis, The Man Who Could Cheat Death, and uh, the one about the cat where the guy had nine lives. Right. He had the cat pituitary gland installed in his brain. Mm-hmm. So, so the cat, you know, William Sadler, and, of course, Garrett Graham has a small role in this, too. Uh, again, let's just not forget Ry Cooter, who did the music to that particular episode. Uh, and and uh, that episode. oh, I love that episode. Do you know that one, uh, Tom? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. <laughs> Vicky, you know that one. Um, I don't have pictures in my head, so okay. it must not be it one was, of my favorites. It's the only one they did in pure black and white. and uh, Oh, I remember that. Yeah, oh, yeah. with William Sandler, okay. and he played like the traveling executioner. Right. Okay, that, now now I have it. But I can't I can't talk. I, it's been so long since I've seen it, I can't talk about it. Hey, yeah. Yeah, I I have the 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 set of the first season of that, uh, and I watched it a couple of years ago. I, I I love that first season. I think uh, the series went down a little bit in quality when it started Once becoming the more. The producers not giving a crap, which is about the fourth, the fifth, or the English seasons. The right. show, You know, and, and, and we're not going to talk about perversions of science, which he also 
was an executive producer of. Uh, so we won't so talk about that. Look up the episode with uh, Jeffrey Combs as Hitler and then just leave the rest of the series in the garbage. Yeah. So one other thing I need to ask everyone before, uh, you know, start wrapping this up here is, is there a movie oh, no. that, uh, is there a movie that Walter Hill has done that you definitely do not like? Can I just talk about one that I really do like that Absolutely. I'm sure that it will never come up? And that okay. is Geronimo. Geronimo yes. is, is um, it's, it's sweeping and it's epic. And Wes Studi is just one of my most favorite actors. Just being um, of American Indian descent, I don't, I, aside, I love all his films. I love all his television work. And that Walter Hill put together this film because he was asked to do this film, not Geronimo itself, but a film that had to do with uh, American Indian story, blah, blah, blah. Um, Here's some money. Give us a film. And he came up with this film. This is, is um, I don't know. I love the, the vistas in this, the cinematography in this. Walter Hill brought all this together, brought some really great actors. Gene Hackman's in it, Jason Patrick's in it, Robert Duvall, and Matt Damon in a tiny little role. Um, and maybe it's because I grew up in Arizona and uh, Geronimo had his last stand in, in, as the outlaw Apache in Arizona, and we, we study it but as you know, children in school. But this film is wonderful. It's really, really passionate. But it, it really is. Uh, although, you know, I was like, okay, where does this come from? And it, that, that's like, Geronimo, it's 1993. You know what won the Academy Award in 1992? Dances with Wolves? Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Dances with Wolves was 90. Okay. Right. See, that was where the money came from. That's why they contracted Walter Hill. The money came from Mm -hmm. those ideas, the big execs up here here in their lofty towers going, we want to make an American Western movie also. So let's do it from the Indian point of view. And I know that sounds racist and all, but that's what they were actually asking him to do. And so after he, he looked at Crazy Horse to do Crazy Horse, but it didn't come together. So then he, and because Walter, uh, Walter Hill started out as a historian, he actually went out and did his research and decided Geronimo was a better story. And that's how this movie came about. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's wonderful. And, and the West Studi. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What, what can you say about him except, um, you know, top shelf? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, from the first the first time I remember seeing him was Last of the Mohicans. 
when yeah. he was just, oh, he was like the face of death. Yes, he was so but evil. But in this, and, and, and in Geronimo, uh, that character is complex. You feel it goes through a variety of emotions. Right, right. And that's because Walter Hill was a historian. And so he went out and he got, like, people my age, which is most of us our age, you know, Carl, Tom, me, um, our age, my age in Arizona growing up at that time, Geronimo was one of our heroes. And you study him and you do papers on him in school because he's just so much a part of the Arizona history. I doubt they do it these days, but back in the 60s and the 70s, Geronimo was was a real person, alive and vibrant to us. And so that's what I like about this film, is it takes that. Go ahead. And it also presents a very different form of masculinity than Hackman or who is that? Jason Patrick in that movie? Yeah. Yeah, Jason, Jason Patrick. Yeah. Exactly. And Robert yes. Duvall, too. You know, there, there, there's the white man's masculinity, and then there's Geronimo's, which, right. you know, is another wonderful undercurrent in that movie. There, Yes. I have to say yes. I'd say that out of all the Walter Hill movies, if you haven't seen this one and uh, it intrigues you, the the topic intrigues you, spend some time on this movie, a couple hours mm-hmm. on this, and you'll you'll like it. Oh, absolutely. I I have never seen it totally. Totally, I have to admit, I have seen bits and pieces of it over over a period of time, but I've never been able to. To watch it, I need to tr- really track it down and watch this film. Well, it says that. Um, Say that it's again, called Stephen. Geronimo. Oh, go ahead. Is Tobolo a German word? I I don't know what you're saying. That's what you just said. You said I never told this in the full way. I'm. I, I, <laughs> I never, well, I've never seen it the whole way. I've never seen all of it. If so. you want to see the, if you want to look it up, it's called Geronimo, an American Legend. Although no, I have it here on IMDb. I just have never seen the film. No, no, I'm through. talking to the audience. Oh, okay. There you go. Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. I know it's your show, but um, there is an audience. Hi, audience. <laughs> and I'm I'm telling you that it's called Geronimo, an American legend. Although Walter Hill wanted to call it Geronimo's War to make it more on point of what really happened, and so you can look up some history before you watch it. But it's an important film, and it's really entertaining. And besides Patrick Hackman and Duvall and Studi, Matt Damon's in it, and so yeah, is Kevin Ty. Kevin Ty yes. comes on in the beginning of another 48 hours and reams Nick Nolte out about blowing up all those people at the motorcycle race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. And 
And uh, if we can add one more actor. Yes. Yes. Hello. Hello. Carl. Carl. Hello. Carl, <laughs> bye bye. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Did you hear me now? <laughs> I don't know what happened. Okay. Carl just went bye bye. Well, well, if but you yeah, want to, Bravo is a good one. It came out during that time when westerns were big again. Like you said, Dances with Wolves, uh, Unforgiven, uh, Lonesome no, Dove. Yeah, I want to put There's... Young Guns in that same era. I love that movie also. I I was kicked off my own show. Yes, we well, know. Just came in and said goodbye. See, even you're sick of yourself, Carl. <laughs> so, getting back to uh, Geronimo, uh, I was just going to mention one other actor, and this is an actor that both Stephen and I waved the flag for, and that would be Stephen McCaddy. Mm-hmm. He's and and uh, anything that Stephen McCaddy is in is magnificent. He's, uh, he's a great well, actor. Ed, if you go down the cast list, um, who else shows up? That guy who Scott Wilson shows up in it. Scott Wilson. The Scott guy Wilson. from uh, Walking Dead. Yeah, Scott Wilson. Yeah, mm-hmm. Scott Wilson. No, he's he Scott was, Wilson from the Night Configuration, which if anyone hasn't seen, they need to see it yesterday. It's free on Amazon Prime. Please go watch it. Please. Please. <laughs> Pretty please. Please. <laughs> please. <laughs> Is somebody going to kill your pet if we don't watch it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, a good segue uh, would be um, into the television, the HBO show, um, Deadwood. Yeah. From one lesson yeah. to another. Because yeah, he did, Deadwood. He's done a lot of producing, you know, uh, uh, and, and he's always been connected with Westerns. I mean, from the long writers on. I mean, he's always done. He also did another film, which I have not seen, so I can't really say much about it. Uh, Wild Bill, which is Wild Bill Hickok. Oh, right. Uh, like the, yes. Yeah. It's odd. Now, the one that has. like a stage play. The one that has me interested from his producer credits is Rustler's Rhapsody. Oh, that's you a fun little that. that one is, is better. It? Yeah, that one's actually good. It's like a love note to how the B uh, movie odors got gave away to the spaghetti westerns. Yeah, and it's it's written and directed by the guy who chief writer for WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I so love yeah, that I want to see that. Why are you riding on a train? I'm in an Italian western. We always ride on trains. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
If you love westerns, really, you're going to love Rustler's Rhapsody. Because it really is a love note about the change between the old school, older westerns to the grittier spaghetti westerns and stuff. Well, that, Tom Berenger. It's like, uh, that's one of the uh, under-recognized actors of the later part of the 20th century. Right, you know. Agreed. Okay, it's like almost 90 minutes. Should we wrap this up? Yeah, we didn't say the one we didn't I'd like. Get... The one that I didn't like, and Carl probably knows what I want to talk about because of how much I hate that story that it's based on. No matter who directed what? it, I hate a movie based on Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest. And See, that was you and Last I so disagree Man on Standing. this, it's not even funny. I don't think Last Man Standing was one of his better films. But nonetheless, I fucking love yeah. Red Harvest. Yeah, uh, I understood. Uh, just a, uh, Tom, do you have a film that you don't like? No, another 48 hours. You know, piece of trash just to make money. Okay. Yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree and, with you guys. And also, being the, the science fiction person here, Supernova is not the greatest um, film yeah. that was ever made as far as science fiction goes. That movie is such a mess that all you have to do is look at it in widescreen, and you'll be able to see <laughs> that it was the first film that they re- they refilmed it. You can see the first film footage because of the way the aspect ratio changes. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's a mess. That's why yeah, you can get course, it for free on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and Moore Hill uh, has basically uh, disavowed the whole thing. He he won't even mention it, you know, that he directed it. And, of course, he used Well, a, neither uh, will any of the actors. Yeah. None so, of the actors will either. No. No. So yeah, it's such a yeah. Shame, they, too. It's a good story. There's a good story there. But still, that one, um, along with another 48 hours, are my two. Blah. Don't watch them. Oh God. Yep. Yeah, I I would happen to agree with you on that. I would happen to agree with you on that. Uh, so there, there we go, folks. I think we've we've gone up the hill, and we've talked about his his work. Uh, I want to thank uh, Tom. It's just such a pleasure to have you on. We got to do more of this, my friend. Yeah. All right. Now that more. it's done one, I'm I'm no longer a virgin. No, isn't that a wonderful feeling now? You're not a virgin anymore. Yay! <laughs> no, and, and as always, Vicky, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. So, well, thanks for always. inviting me. Oh, well, I, I wasn't going to not invite you, considering I know you how much you love Walter Hill and, and the Alien franchise and that sort of thing. And, and Stephen, again, my, my thanks for the opening and everything you do. 
uh, uh, I've had a blast here today. And yeah. so uh, let's all say good night and uh, or good afternoon uh, or whatever it is. Uh, Vicki, you okay. can think Tom yes. did, but I got to do promotions and a cravat to a certain film fan. Okay. One day, hopefully soon, me and Carl plan on doing a watch of the Warriors, so we didn't gloss over this on purpose. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and the reason for the Warriors is we want somebody on that. Uh, we, we yeah, need we know, somebody you know, on I'm that. You know, I'm calling you out, Warlord. I dare you to come on. I dare you. Yeah. And if you're in the Warriors group, call out to the leader of the group, our warlord, to get him to come on and watch this with us. Come out to play. Yeah, come out to play, Warrior. Coming up soon, uh, Friday, since it's May 1st, we're going to be doing our annual tribute to Officer Neil Halley of the West Highland Police Force. And that tragic accident that happened to him on the co- off of the coast of the Summerisle Island. And for this year, we're going to be doing offbeat religious movies, which are movies that are highly religious, but are freaking bizarre. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and it's Saturday, not just going to be Christian films. It's going to be we'll have Buddhist, we'll have some Gnostic, we're going to have a Jewish one or two. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna hit all the different uh, uh, religions as much as we can. And Saturday, we're gonna be doing the belly of an architect with uh, the one and only. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd rather watch a Terrence Malick film. Sunday, we don't know what we're going to do yet. But here's the big thing. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Saturday was 510. This is... We're about about four four or five episodes away from episode 500. And good Lord, we will have something good planned for that. Yes, people. 500. And that's not counting the 70 or 80 episodes that are lost. And the stuff we did at Blog Talk. I mean, uh, with, with not I mean, Blog Talk, but Yeah, that, that, that doesn't that count the Hoobazoo stuff. Oh, my God. What? How long has it been? It's been eight years. Yeah. Oh, oh kill me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And with that, and next Tuesday, I didn't want to do this, but Carl said, pulled a knife on me, and said, "We're going to do this," because I'm not fans of movies where, uh, not Dennis Hopper. Who's the other one, Carl? Oh, Peter Fonda talked about how much the '60s sucked. I'm not a fan of movies like that. Oh, oh, okay. Now I know which one you're talking about. But then I'm fan yeah. of film Jim Loach, so hey, we got to do the semi-sequel to uh, Poor Cow. So we're going to be doing Steven Soderbergh's The Limey. Which 
if anyone knows me knows I fucking love this movie. We're doing a watch of it, and uh, Criterion Channel has it up for uh, the month of May. So yeah, you we're, know you we're need there. that hashtag. Fucking love this movie. Hashtag. Cheese. I don't know. You must have said that 15 times in the last 90 minutes. No, probably more. Well, at least I didn't say I fucking love cheese. (laughs) And with that. Okay. Say goodbye, Carl. All right, Tom, again. Thank you very much. People, have a good Thank night. You. All right. right. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye.